wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening. Please share Bleeding Daylight episodes so that others can kick against the darkness. None of us like to be constantly put down and criticised, yet our harshest critic is often our own internal dialogue. The words we speak to ourselves can hold us back or even cripple us emotionally. My guest today will help us discover a better way. John Stungy is the lead pastor of Core Creek Community Church in Pennsylvania, as well as being an adjunct professor at Cairn University. He hosts three podcasts, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, Daily Devotions with Pastor John, and Dwell on These Things. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. John, welcome to Bleeding Daylight. Thank you, Rodney. It's a joy to be with you. You've just released a book titled Dwell on These Things, but it's Not only a book designed to be read, but one that challenges us and takes us on a journey of change. Tell me how this book is different to most others. It's interesting because a lot of books that I have read through the years have a lot of theory in them, and that's certainly valuable. But one of the things that I wanted to do when I was putting this book together was to put something together that could actually be used. So it's not just a book for the head. It's also a book for the heart and for the hands. And my goal was to to help people really change the internal conversation that many of us wrestle with. So it's a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And since I was trying to help people change behaviors and internal conversations, I thought making it practical would be uh, a useful way to put the book together. And so that's how it was written with that in mind. Tell me where the idea came from. I I think the idea for me came about through a combination of things. So in in my day-to-day work, I serve as the pastor of a church, and a big task that I have to fulfill each week is putting together messages and teaching opportunities and sermons and things of that nature. And I'm frequently preaching from a pulpit, and I'm trying to share things that are in line with what Scripture says, and I'm trying to share things that will encourage and inspire people in their walk with Christ. And I've noticed that that many of us give verbal assent to the type of things that, that we're talking about from the pulpit and, and all of that, but we struggle to apply these things to our day-to-day lives. And I, I very much fall into that category because there are many times that I've preached messages and then immediately afterward uh, just drifted toward criticizing myself for the fact that the message didn't come out quite as perfectly as I had hoped that it would, or that the things that I had intended to say, I didn't say as clearly as I hoped that I would. And so sometimes my drive back home after church has been filled with an internal conversation that's not really lining up with the type of things that I just spent time preaching to a group of people. And so when I noticed that inconsistency in myself, I started thinking, what would it look like to to really just kind of complete this this thought of of preaching to my own heart the type of things that I preach 
from a pulpit. And then the other element of uh, my weekly responsibilities, a a lot of time is spent actually counseling people. And I've noticed through the years that many of the things that just we in general as people struggle with comes down to a message that we're preaching to our hearts that doesn't line up with what Scripture actually states. And so a combination of those things, the things that I noticed that I was preaching to myself and the things that I noticed that many of the people in my congregation were preaching to their own hearts, I thought, what would it look like if our day-to-day lives actually reflected what Scripture says? You know, what would it look like if we started talking to ourselves like God talks to us? And so that was the the genesis of this book, really fueled my desire to put this down on paper. That sort of internal conversation that we have, that self-talk that we have, there are many self-help gurus who would just say, we need to look ourselves in the mirror, tell ourselves that we're wonderful, and that can come up empty. So where is this different? This is different because it's anchored in what God's revealed to us in Scripture, and it's it's focused on actually applying the gospel in meaningful ways in our day-to-day lives and realizing that the gospel isn't just something that we hear once and say, okay, I, I acknowledge this, but we're actually supposed to Uh, really meditate on this good news day in and day out. And so this book isn't anchored in our feelings. It's not anchored in just some sort of a positive affirmation that we would make that really is extremely shallow. The entire book is anchored in what Scripture actually teaches and the eternal truth of the gospel and how that actually applies to our day-to-day lives. And so we're not just going to have those warm, fuzzy feelings echoed back to ourselves, but we're actually going to be looking at some of the hard stuff in Scripture as well, things like having to repent. Tell me about that. That's a word that I've learned to love, but it's, I think, in many respects, one of the the scariest words in the Bible for most people, because I think when we look at the word repentance, we typically picture somebody yelling something at us, or we, we picture somebody uh, standing on a street corner with a sign saying that we need to repent. And when you look at what Scripture talks about with this idea of repentance, it's reminding us of the fact that it, it begins with understanding who we are in God's eyes. Now, there was a season of my life where I was living as God's enemy, but now through faith in Christ, I'm no longer God's enemy. I am part of God's family, and the righteousness of Christ has been granted to me. I am covered or clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so if I approach repentance with the understanding that that's how God is seeing me, I realize that it's actually safe to repent. If I think that it's not safe to repent, then I won't do it. And what I'll end up doing is inviting things to to set up camp in my life that don't belong there. But when I realize that I'm seen a particular way in God's eyes through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm seen as righteous in God's eyes. I'm seen as holy in God's eyes. Therefore, it makes it safe to repent. I can admit my faults to him. I can turn from the things that I have been inviting into my life that are unhealthy, and I can run right back to him and know with certainty that I'm welcomed into his presence, and he rejoices over my repentance. And so that's something that I put in the book 
One of my favorite stories is in that chapter. The chapter that you're referencing is chapter 11. And I don't remember the topics of the chapters by number for every single chapter in the book, but there's a few of them that stand out to me. And that's one of the chapters that stands out to me. There's some stories that I tell in there about how I kind of overcame that fear and, you know, just overcoming fear in my day-to-day life and, and how we as adults can overcome our fear of the word repentance or the concept of repentance. That's, that's actually a, what I consider a pivotal chapter in this particular book. It's very interesting that we talk about this idea of repentance being something that we want to run towards rather than run away from, because I guess we need that mind shift of this is how God looks at it, because we're mm-hmm. so used to having to come to someone with our tail between our legs and right. say, look, I, I messed it up again. And that seems to be why we're so afraid of it, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes we mistakenly try to base some level of our sense of identity on us making it through life mistake-free. And none of us makes it through life mistake-free. We all make mistakes. We all rebel. We all do things that, you know, when we look back at it, we say, okay, that was a bad decision in that moment. And I can try and pretend that I don't have those moments, but that's not really helpful. It's more helpful if I just admit, you know what, I goofed this up. This wasn't something that I necessarily thought I would do, but here I am. I I did this. And so I can either own it and say, Lord, here I am. I'm coming before you. I'm seeking your cleansing. I'm seeking your strength to walk away from this. Or I could pretend like I haven't invited something unhealthy or unwise into my life and then let it set up camp there. And one of the things that I've noticed throughout the course of my life is that the people that go through life pretending that they're perfect and pretending that they don't wrestle with things aren't people that grow very deep in their faith. It's when we recognize that our sufficiency is found in Christ, not our ability to get through life mistake-free, that actually allows us to experience deeper levels of growth. And so one of the things that I was trying to really communicate in in chapter 11 in the book in particular is the idea that your life is going to be better if you can get over this fear of repentance. Your life is going to be better if you could actually get to a spot where you say, you know what, I'm not going to welcome something into my life that doesn't belong, and I'm not going to pretend or try and base my sense of identity on whether or not I make it through life mistake-free. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. The one who made it through life mistake-free was Jesus, and my sufficiency is found in him. You say that we're trying to change our minds so that we're thinking through things the way that God would have us think through those things. I'm particularly thinking of those verses in Philippians that tell us to to dwell on these things. Of course, Mm -hmm. that's where the title of the book comes from. And it tells us to think of things that are lovely and are true. And we get this idea that it's just thinking of lovely meadows and everything's going to be fine, but surely that's not what the Bible is telling us to do. No, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, I'll, I'll read that verse for us. In Philippians 4.8, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And so when I look at this, I'm, I'm not thinking that this is just talking about all these sweet and syrupy, easy things to think about. I think sometimes when this scripture is telling us dwell on whatever is true, well, whatever is true might be something that's really hard for me to hear. But at the same time, it's valuable and it's good. I know a friend of mine who recently offered to 
help another friend through something that they were they were really wrestling with. And it was going to involve sharing something true that wasn't going to be easily received by the other person. And instead of receiving that help from the first friend, the other friend rejected it and chose to just embrace ignorance. And there in that point, in, in that situation uh, with their friendship, this could have been a growth experience, but one friend rejected it because they didn't want to hear what was true. But here it's saying, no, dwell on whatever is true. Even if in the moment it stings, it still can be helpful. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, these are the things that the scripture encourages us to spend our time thinking about. But again, just like you you implied there, the, the idea isn't so much that these would always be easy things or simple things. Uh, sometimes they could be really complicated and sometimes they could be really deeper level but at the same time, they're valuable and they help us to grow in our understanding of who God has created us to be. And it also helps us to grow in our understanding of the fact that he desires to have a deep and abiding personal relationship with us. And he's He's not looking at us to get all things right. In fact, he realizes that he had to do that for us. And now he invites us to have a relationship with him based on what he's accomplished on our behalf, because we couldn't accomplish it. On our own. You mentioned that you didn't want to write another book that was just theory. You wanted it to be helpful for people. So I imagine you've woven a lot of your own stories in there of where you found this impacting your own life. Especially as the book develops. I didn't initially set out to do that when I was writing this book. But then as I was developing these concepts, I started to realize that some of the more practical ways to illustrate some of these deeper level truths would be with personal examples so that people didn't read this book and think that I was telling people to do things that I wasn't personally wrestling with. I think sometimes it's entertaining, but sometimes it's also confessional in nature where I'm, I'm sharing things that I'm wrestling with. There's a, a, a woman in my church that frequently will tell me, she's read the book, and uh, she'll, she'll tell me, you chose to be rather transparent in this chapter. And I guess that surprised her, but I'm always surprised when she says that because I tend to do the same thing when I'm preaching because I think there's no benefit in pretending that we don't wrestle with these things. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to share personal stories and how the Lord has taught me some of these lessons all throughout the course of my life. I know one of the things that I talk about in the book is the fact that we can rely on God's unconditional love. So I think to myself, as I'm putting that information together and showing what scripture says, what does it look like for me to really wrestle with that, to rely on God's unconditional love? And one of the things that I've noticed throughout the course of my life is that many of my relationships are conditional in nature. Many of the people in my life, they seem to appreciate me or enjoy me as long as I'm able to offer them something or do something for them. And at this season of my life, I've really wrestled with that and really thought about that. And I even joked with another pastor friend of mine, and I, I, I actually mentioned this in the book, he sent me a message the one day that if my team, so we were both watching uh, American football, he said, if, if your team beats my team today, because they were playing, he said, we're not friends anymore. Now, I know he was joking, but I also joked back with him and I said, oh, that's okay. I'm a pastor. I'm used to conditional friendships. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he laughed about that because he's also a pastor, so he knows what it's like. But I think when we're surrounded by a whole bunch of conditional friendships in our day-to-day -day life, it can be hard for us to remind our, our own hearts 
that we can rely on God's unconditional love, that his relationship with us is not conditional. And so I, I shared some of my own struggles with conditional relationships and conditional friendships in this book as a way to kind of counteract this false belief that sometimes we wrestle with, where we start to think that God's love for us might be conditional in nature. And it's not conditional in nature. The, the nature of God's love is that, is that once we receive his love, we're, we're, we're receiving something that doesn't have earthly and worldly conditions like so many of our earthly relationships do. You're talking about changing the mind to start to think differently about ourselves, and we need to do that through Scripture. But I'm wondering, what are the things that are normally shaping the way that we speak to ourselves? What are the things that normally shape our self-talk? Because there seems to be so many messages out there. What are the things we need to be aware of? We live in the information age, and so here you and I are. We're recording a podcast together. I listen to podcasts constantly. I'm sure you probably have a lot of your favorites as well, but we're, we're constantly surrounded by all different forms of media and uh, entertainment and news and even just the people in our day-to-day lives. And so all of those are sources of information. They kind of form our information diet. And as we go through life with this information diet, I, I, I kind of wonder to myself, is, is my diet of information healthy? And is it feeding my soul in a positive way? Is it feeding my soul in a Christ-honoring way? Or is this diet of information or even the diet of conversation that I have with certain people in my life, is it taking me in an unhealthy direction where I'm kind of feeding myself a variety of things that, that really doesn't steer my mind in a healthy direction. And so I tend to caution myself and caution others to be very careful about the diet that you you put before yourself, this diet that, that ultimately informs your self-talk. And I have to confess, even as a, as a pastor, I find it much easier to consume a diet of information that isn't really scriptural and, uh, and I think to myself, okay, why am I thinking this way? Well, why, part of the reason why I tend to struggle with different things, it really comes down to the information that I'm feeding my mind. And so it's really helpful to get back to things that point me in a Christ-centered direction, because that definitely has an impact on my thinking. I'm wondering too, as well as all this information that we take in, how much our family of origin is going to, to mold us in this way, in the way that we think about ourselves. I think that's a huge thing. Let's say you grow up in a household where you're hearing a constant message over the course of your life that really is a, a message that discourages you. And really, it's a message that causes you to, to have um, an unhealthy sense of your personal identity. I think for some people, especially if some of those messages came from their father, I think for many people, that can really impact the nature of what their perception of God happens to be like. So if you grow in a, grow up in a household where the message you're hearing is constantly one of critique or over-analysis, or where you're, you're constantly told that, that you're not worth very much, or you're treated like you're an afterthought, I think it's going to be a little bit challenging for you to wrap your mind around the, the thought that God loves you in an unconditional way, or the fact that you can rely on God in the midst of, of the anxieties that you're trying to carry, that you could give that weight over to him when the people in your life, or maybe even your father growing up, wasn't somebody that demonstrated that kind of relationship. So I definitely think think that our family of origin has a big impact, but it's also kind of neat to think that the Lord is there as, as one who demonstrates 
what the nature of real love looks like and what the nature of a deeper level relationship looks like. So there may be kind of a hill that we have to get over to begin believing that about God. But once we're there, it's so refreshing to realize that the Lord sees us in a way that is so different from some of the difficult relationships that maybe we've had at an earlier season of life. Most parents, of course, do the best that they can in the circumstances that they find themselves in. But as you say, sometimes we just come up empty with an atmosphere that doesn't build into our lives. I'm wondering as we look forward, how do we as parents then ensure that we're giving a message to our children that is going to be scriptural, that is going to be helping them to understand who they are in God? I think for me, one of the things that I've realized is that the most helpful metric is when I I ask myself two things. First of all, am I preaching the message of the gospel to my own heart? And secondly, is that being reflected in the way in which I'm speaking to my children? So the Lord's blessed my wife and I with four children. We have two daughters and two sons, two of which are adults now, young adults, and two of which are almost adults. So it's a very interesting season of parenting where I'm, I'm almost stepping back and seeing the fruit of many years of investment in these children, you know, did there are certain things I feel like we got right and certain things I look back and I think oh, I do that different. But when when it comes to the message that I'm preaching to them, I, I really want to come back to the fact that does this line up with the gospel? So if I'm a perfectionist and I'm expecting my children to be perfectionists and to get everything right, I, I have to ask myself the question, does that really line up with what the gospel teaches? And the gospel teaches that Christ is perfect and we aren't, and we need him. And so I need to really dial it back if I'm overemphasizing some level of perfectionism. If I'm struggling to show my children mercy when they make a poor decision, I need to come back to the fact that in the gospel, I'm shown mercy. If I'm struggling to, to bless my children in ways that, that they don't deserve, I need to come back to the fact that in the gospel, I'm shown grace. And grace is this idea of being given gifts that we don't deserve directly from the hand of a gracious God. These are things that, that really help me when I'm interacting with my own children, even though they're getting older now. There's really no time that's a bad time to emphasize the message of the gospel in our conversations and in the way we treat one another. And I have a, a deep hope that in time, when my children look back at this time that they had the opportunity to spend with my wife and I, that they'll look back and say, yeah, dad got some things right and he got some things wrong. But one of the things that was important to him was that he gave us a picture of Jesus in our household, because I do believe that that will have an impact on the message that they preach to their own hearts. I'm interested that you're constantly bringing in this word gospel, because so mm -hmm. often I think that believers Think about the gospel as this is the message that brought me into the family of God, but that's where it stays. Hmm. Whereas you're talking about this constant preaching of the gospel to ourselves. Explain that to me. This is something that I wish I understood at an earlier season of life it, because it would have had a, a major impact on my day-to-day -day life. But sometimes people treat the gospel like it's the message that we hear and respond to. So the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ that makes sense for us when we're first meeting him, but then we treat that like it's not something that has application for us all throughout the course of our lives. 
And when you look at what Scripture teaches us, we're being taught in Scripture that we're to always be going deeper into that message, that that's not just the meal that we eat on day one, but that's the food we should be chewing on all throughout the course of my life and all throughout the course of your life. And so this is something that that I think that as our faith matures, we develop a deeper appreciation for the gospel. And so as I look at the fact that God is holy, and I look at the fact that I struggle with sin, the more I appreciate that and the more I understand that, the the deeper my level of appreciation for who Christ is and what he's done for me and what he continues to do for me is going to grow. And so I, I should never be moving beyond the gospel. I should just be going deeper in my application of it. So as a recipient of the grace of God, I have the opportunity to demonstrate grace. As a recipient of the undeserved love of God, I have the opportunity to display undeserved love. And even when I think about the idea of applying the gospel, one of the things that you know we all tend to wrestle with from time to time is anxiety. And I think a great application of the gospel is the fact that I learn over the course of time as I walk with Christ that I can rely on him and that he has my life under his control and that he's looking after me. And, and so since I know that's the case, in, my, in the moments when I'm dealing with anxious thoughts, I can pause and say to myself, wait a second, I'm trying to control something that's under Christ's control. It's not under my control. It's under his control. And so an application of the gospel in that moment would be simply just saying, all right, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to control the things that I've been trying to control, and I'm going to trust that you're going to do a good job with it, just like you've done a good job with my life, just like you've done a good job in securing my future. And so I'm going to trust that you're going to control in a healthy way the things that I'm tempted to feel anxious about right now. And so again, yeah, I guess I do use that term quite a bit, but it's just the idea of, of never going beyond the gospel. It's just the idea of going deeper into the gospel and realizing that it has an application for my day-to-day walk all throughout the course of my Christian life. Do you think that a lot of time people don't place enough emphasis on that internal monologue, on that self-talk that they don't realize that that's constantly going on in the back of their mind? I think sometimes it kind of sneaks below the radar. And what we don't realize is that in most cases, there's there really isn't anyone that's going to have the opportunity to preach to us more than we have the opportunity to preach to ourselves. So I've been to school and I've listened to teachers and professors, and they had plenty of opportunity to speak to me and teach me. And that's great. And I've read books and uh, have learned from teaching there. And I've, I've listened to other pastors and podcasters. But here's the thing. I'm always saying something to myself day in and day out, and I have more opportunity to preach to my heart than any pastor I've ever had or any podcaster that I've ever listened to their content or any author who's ever written something that I've read or any teacher whose class I've, I've sat under. And I think if we would recognize and identify just how much of our day is spent communicating a message to our hearts, I think it would be helpful to us to say, all right, if I'm going to communicate this so frequently to myself, let's at least make sure that it's true and let's make sure that it's helpful and let's make sure that it's accurate and healthy. And when we get back to the truth of scripture and the application of the gospel, as we believe these things, we have the opportunity to preach these things to our own hearts and that makes a, a, a qualitative difference in our day-to-day life in a big way. 
because this self-talk that we have, this internal monologue that we have, is just with us so constantly, we can often just forget it's there. How do we catch ourselves when we are preaching to ourselves the wrong message? I think holding it up to the light of Scripture is is really the key thing. And if we're, if we're feeding our hearts and our minds a steady diet of what is true, I think what is false starts to stand out a bit more. And I, another tool that I think is helpful is to say to ourselves in those moments, the message that I'm preaching to myself right now, would I say this to somebody else? So I mentioned already that my wife and I, we have four children. So I think to myself, all right, would I say this to one of my daughters? Would I say this to one of my sons? The criticism, the critique, the unfair attitude that I'm displaying to myself, the lack of grace, the lack of mercy, would I say this to someone I love? And if I wouldn't preach that message or, or say that to someone I love, I shouldn't be saying that to myself. And that can be a way that we can start to catch the message that we've been saying to ourselves or, or speaking to ourselves, this internal dialogue. If we wouldn't repeat it to someone we love, why are we saying it to ourselves? One of the things that you do in the book is encourage people to work out what it is that's actually weighing them down. Tell me how we go about that and and start to counteract that. I think that comes down to this idea of dwelling on what is true and maybe even admitting some things to ourselves that we don't really want to think a whole lot about. And so I think as we're walking in truth, we can just start analyzing some of the things that are weighing us down and just admitting it. So it may be some sort of long-level disappointment, something that has been maybe something that you thought would be the case at this season of your life that is not the case, and kind of dealing with that and holding that up to the light and saying, okay, is this God's will for me? Is this something that was based on some level of worldly expectation that isn't being met? And really wrestling with it that way. But I think just admitting it, maybe it, it would be helpful to write it down. Maybe it would be helpful to admit it to your spouse or to a close friend and just calling it out into the light. Because I think sometimes these things stay under the radar and just kind of uh, remain part of our internal dialogue because we're not willing to admit them and we're not willing to call these things out. So whether it be writing it down, whether it be uh, confessing it to a friend or a family member or to your spouse, or whether it be, and I think that this is key, I don't even think this is an option. I think sometimes we just need to admit these things even in our times of prayer and just admit to the Lord, Lord, this is something that I'm wrestling with. I'm, I'm disappointed with this. This is something I was expecting. It didn't come to pass. This is something that I've been wrestling with for a long time and I didn't want to admit. And now I'm finally willing to admit it to you. I think calling it out into the light can be a great first step as we're trying to actually gain victory over our negative self-talk. I mentioned right at the beginning that this book is somewhat different in the way that it actually challenges us and takes us on a journey. You've actually even presented that in a very different way and created what we call inspiration cards. Tell me about those. Yeah, this is something that I was able to do in conjunction with the publisher, and they had this great idea to put together a series of inspiration cards. It's basically like a desk set or something that you might put on a piece of furniture in your home that could be something that you would walk by and read quickly, and it takes the main concepts of the book and it just puts them into smaller sections that you could just look at and pick up 
and read. And the subtitle of the inspiration cards is the thought that it's 31 thoughts to align your heart with God's truth. And so you grab them and you look at them. I actually have them on my desk right here in front of me as I'm talking to you. And so one of the things that I I pulled out from this recently that I I wanted as a reminder to myself, because I noticed that in uh, the past year and a half, one of the things that I've been struggling with personally is trying to soothe my emotions with food. And uh, one of the things that I think I struggle with in my life is the idea of eating in an unhealthy way when I'm struggling emotionally. And over the past year and a half, as we've all been dealing with all sorts of interruptions and changes, there's been plenty of time for me to feel at least somewhat discouraged emotionally. And so I pulled out the card from the set. On the front of it, it talks about the fact that unhealthy habits and desires don't need to control you. So in my context, I don't need to be controlled by an unhealthy habit of overconsumption of food to try and to try and uh, somehow soothe an emotion. And so that card I actually have in front of me on my desk is that reminder. And uh, even on the back of it, it, it has a little bit of a deeper explanation of that concept. But on the back, it says, we're often tempted to engage in activities that are physically and spiritually unhealthy. Our culture values and elevates many habits and desires that appeal to our old nature and could become snares to our long-term health. We've been set free from sin and death Through faith in Jesus, we don't need to be controlled by the things that appeal to our sinful nature. Now, the book has a whole chapter that elaborates on this, but sometimes we don't have, you know, the time that it takes to read a chapter like that. And so after reading the book as a a great way to just remind our own hearts of some of these biblical truths, we put together this set so that you could just kind of grab a card, look at it, think about it for the day and hopefully be encouraged to begin thinking about things from a much healthier perspective because our beliefs directly impact our behaviors. And if we have this this quick reminder, we think that it could be a uh, just a helpful tool as we actually try and live these concepts out. I find it very interesting that you're actually reading a card that you've written to yourself, but then that's the whole concept of the book is that we're preaching to ourselves. We're reminding ourselves of the things we know to be true, but bringing it back to mind often. And and that's perfect for, for those cards to be bringing back to mind those things that we know to be true. Is, is that the concept that you're trying to get across to people? Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're trying to, to say, all right, these are the things that we don't think about enough. We often think about things that are unhealthy and unhelpful, but what would it look like if we actually just start thinking about what is true. And so sometimes I think, you know, in the example I just gave of my own personal life and and sometimes the the poor eating choices that I'm making, it's helpful for me to see a reminder that says, listen, unhealthy habits and desires don't need to control you. And so if if you're going through your day thinking, oh, the only way I can solve this emotional pain is if I eat unhealthy foods and eat too much of them at that well, that's not a healthy thing to preach to my heart. And that's something that I need to be reminded of. And, and maybe somebody else's habits would fall into a different category and they would find a different application to this as far as the, the habit that they're trying to kind of weed out of their life. But in, in my context, I think to myself, I need this reminder. And even though I've written these things down in the book, it's not like these concepts are things that have come out of my own mind. What I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm saying, all right, this is what Scripture says. This is what Scripture teaches. 
And I need to be reminded of these things. And so I'm writing this down and I'm developing this habit, but I'm hopeful that this would be helpful to somebody else. And just these quick reminders can help point our hearts in the right direction and remind us time and time again that Christ is the solution and that we find our sufficiency in him. I know that the book is still fairly new, but I'm sure that there have been people who've had opportunity to read it. You you mentioned the lady in your church who's read (laughs) it and reminds you of it. What is the feedback that you've had so far from people that have been able to read the book and to start to take this journey through those cards? The feedback has been so encouraging. It's it's always a strange experience when you write a book and then you make it available to other people because you know that people are going to have an opinion about it. And so anytime you produce content and put it out there, you do wonder, I wonder what others are going to think of this. But one of the things that, that I've been trying to do is to kind of ask the question, is this helping somebody? Is this helping people? And the feedback that I've been getting is that people are finding it very helpful. And another uh, aspect to that is that since the book is filled with stories, people are also telling me that they're finding it memorable, that they're able to remember some of those stories to kind of reinforce these concepts. And so there's been a, a whole series of encouraging things that I've seen shared on social media. I've started to see some of the reviews that have been coming in. And uh, people are telling me that they're actually finding it helpful when they're wrestling with this internal dialogue. And that is extremely encouraging to me. It makes me very glad that I took the the time to write this. I even have a close friend who's, who's told me that one of the things that he's been wrestling with is a desire to control things that are not under his control. And it's actually impacted his sleeping at night. And uh, he has noticed that if he spends a little time reading the second chapter of this book, that that chapter in particular helps remind him of a variety of things that he's been wrestling with, that he can ultimately just give these things over to the Lord and trust the Lord to control these things. And he, he actually told me recently that he had trouble uh, sleeping one particular night, and his wife said to him, why don't you just go and pick up, dwell on these things and reread chapter two? And so he said at this point now, he's read it multiple times, I guess he he doesn't even know how many times he's read that chapter, but that's something that's been a go-to for him. And so getting that kind of feedback makes me feel very grateful because I think, all right, the, the Lord has given me the opportunity to help produce a tool that people are finding useful in their own relationship with him. And I'm just grateful that the Lord gave me the opportunity to do this. But that's the kind of feedback that I've been receiving so far. It's been out for a little over a month now, and I'm really grateful that people are finding it practical and useful and that they would take the time to actually share that with me. What is the main takeaway that you want people to have from this book and the inspiration cards? The main takeaway is really it's it's encapsulated in that subtitle of the book, that this would be a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And my hope and my desire is that at the end of the day, that, that somebody would say, all right, the way I'm talking to myself is starting to reflect the heart of God. It's starting to reflect what Scripture actually teaches and what Scripture actually says. And if this becomes a lifelong pattern, I think that this will improve the quality of a person's life. I think it has the capacity to impact the nature of their marriage and the nature of their relationships with their children, co-workers, 
you know, the people that they're, they're interacting with on a daily basis, because the message we preach to our heart is going to come out in our lives. Our behavior is always impacted by what we believe to be true. If someone takes that as a main takeaway, that they actually start talking to themselves like God talks to them, I think that the book will have accomplished what I hope it, it was ultimately put together to accomplish. I really hope that that would be a main takeaway that somebody would take from reading this content. John, I'm sure that as people have been listening, they have been encouraged and they're wanting to go further in this. Where can people find you so that they can get hold of the book, so that they can listen to your podcast? Where's the best place for people to go? The best place for people to go is my website, which is desirejesus.com. And right now, if they go to the website, one of the things that the publisher has allowed me to do, which I'm grateful for, they could actually read the first three chapters of the book right there on the website and see if it's something that they would find helpful, but they could just read that for free. And again, that's at desirejesus.com. That's an easy place to find you. And I will put the details in the show notes at Bleeding Daylight. Net. John, it has been an absolute delight to speak to you. I love the idea of the book and I'm looking forward to reading it through myself. But thank you for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you so much for the invitation to be with you today, Rodney. It was really a privilege. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.